Thank you for listening to Desert Spring United Methodist Sunday Sermon. We're glad you found us and that you chose to be part of our church. Online listeners, you are a significant part of our church community, and we're grateful you're with us. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. If you would like to engage with our staff, we can be found on Facebook, Vimeo, and Instagram. Or call us at 702-256-5933. I'm starting a, a series of sermons. Uh, Pastor Tim is as well out at Northwest Campus and called Making, called Making Sense of the Bible. You have a little postcard that's in your bulletin about this series. Um, because um, uh, you may end up thinking of somebody that you know who you think would really benefit for, from uh, being a part of this series. And, and, and hearing and talking about the kinds of things that we're going to be uh, talking about throughout this series. Um, so you can use this card to invite somebody to come. They will have missed the first Sunday, but that's okay. They can catch it online if they want to get caught up. Um, but each Sunday is this kind of its own event, and we'll be talking about lots of different important topics throughout the six weeks. We're going to be talking about things like where the Bible comes from, why it's authoritative to it, uh, us and how we read it, as well as talking about some of the very difficult passages that make us scratch our heads and wonder if God possibly could have said those things. Along with the, the sermon series, we have a class that's, that's going to be running. Um, Pastor Tim is doing one on Sundays right after church out of the Northwest, so you probably can't make it to that class because it starts probably about 10.30 today. And, or, unless you get up and leave now, I suppose you could. But um, uh, Okay, good, nobody left. Um, so, uh, but I'm offering one here on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock and on Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock for the next six weeks. Um, just a little caveat, next, this coming Wednesday, the first week of the class, uh, I've been asked to go down to Phoenix uh, along with some other large church pastors to talk with the bishop uh, related to general conference, and so I have to be gone for the very first class. And that bummed me out until I, re until I heard from Reverend Mike Collins. Mike, you want to wave over here? Reverend Mike Collins uh, has taught this class several other times, uh, and he's willing to be the teacher for this coming Wednesday night. So we're in great hands, and thank you, Pastor, for being willing to do that. Um, and then I'll look forward to, to getting caught up with the rest of you on the following Wednesday. I will be here on the Thursday morning. With that, let's have a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you uh, didn't know, that prayer comes from the Bible. And I love the Bible. I love this book. I have spent countless hours reading it, studying it, preparing to teach it, preparing to preach from it. It's helped to form my faith and helped to, me to understand how it is that I am to live my life. I cannot imagine my life without this book. And having said that, I do so painfully aware that this book has been used both to inspire the best of humanity and to justify the worst of humankind. People have sacrificed their lives because of this book, and people have sacrificed other people's lives pointing to this book. How could it be that somebody like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. could be inspired by this book while this book was also used to justify the practice of slavery? 
And we, we know how that can be. It's not that hard to figure out. A lot of it has to do with motives when it comes to reading this book. Some read this book with open hearts and open minds and seeking the, the presence of the Spirit, hoping to be transformed by the very Word of God which is being read. While others read this book wanting to justify some decision or belief that they already have. There's a, a, a woman from a former church that, she's a delightful woman named Martha Sue. I love Martha Sue. Uh, she had this simple wisdom that, that, that was so easy to understand. She um, would come to my Bible studies. And during Bible study, when we read a scripture that she liked, she would say, I like that scripture. I'm keeping it in my Bible. <laughs> and when we read a scripture she didn't like, she'd say, I don't like that. I'm taking it out of my Bible. <laughs> and then she'd say, I'm writing my own Bible, you know. <laughs> and how true that is, how easy it is for us to read scripture and to highlight those things that we like and to ignore those things that we do not like. And when we come to Scripture with some agenda or with some system of belief that we have no intention of ever changing, then all we ever highlight are those things that justify our agenda or support those beliefs. And the Bible becomes for us, at best, a tool to help us get what we want and at worst, a weapon used against other people. And we know that's not its intention. That's not what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to transform our lives. We use this book to help understand how we're supposed to live our lives, and help other people understand how they're supposed to live their lives, and we do well to make certain that we get it right. Although it's not always that easy to get it right. Not always that easy because it's a complicated book. I mean, sometimes it says the most wonderful things that just warm our hearts. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isaiah 43, verse 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Says these wonderful things. And then we read scriptures that say things that leave us scratching our heads and wondering if it could be that God actually said those things. Like when Joshua is commanded to commit genocide as he led the Israelite people to take the promised land. And then there was Jesus. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who meets with a small group of women, the very first witnesses to the resurrection, 
and he asks them to go and tell the very first people to preach the resurrected Christ, these women, to go and tell the disciples what they have seen. And then later, Paul says that women should keep silent. And he forget, forbids a woman from teaching a man. How could that be? And in 1 John, we hear that God is love. But in Leviticus, we're told that if our child backtalks us, we're to put the kid to death. How can that be? It's not an easy book to to always make sense of. And there are passages in there that leave us scratching our head. In this, this series of sermons, we're going to be wrestling with how do we make sense of this book and how do we deal with such difficult passages. But we're going to start with trying to understand what the book is, kind of lay the groundwork for the series. And so as we get started, let's just pause and listen to Scripture. Sharon, will you read for us? Our first scripture this morning is Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And our second reading is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. So we begin with, what is this? I mean, the easy answer is, it's a book, right? A book, a best-selling book. But we don't have to read too far into it to begin to realize it's not just a book. But it's a whole collection of writings and of letters, of documents. And these, these writings, these letters, these documents, these stories, we call each one of them its own book. And so in this book, there's a collection of 66 books. 39 of them are in the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament. 27 are what we call the New Testament. These 66 books that are contained in this one volume were written over a very, very long period of time. Maybe over as much as 1,400 years. And some of the stories that were written actually circulated for generations prior to being written down. Storytellers would tell them around campfires and pass them on from one generation to the next to keep the stories alive. So when you read through the Bible, you're reading through books that's the writing of which span almost 2,000 years. Some 
of the books themselves took long periods of time to write. An example, the book of Genesis. There are stories in the book of Genesis that date 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. And there are parts of the book of Genesis that were written by priests 1,400 years later. All in that one book, the book of Genesis. Now, because this was written over such a long period of time, like 2,000 years, obviously it was written by a whole lot of different people. A whole lot of people wrote. Some of them we know, some of them we do not know. Some of the books were written by more than one person. An example, the first five books of the Bible, anybody know what they're called? Okay, so we're telling the names of them. Okay, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and the, those books are Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, the first five books. They're called the Law of Moses, and they are attributed to Moses as the author. But we know that Moses didn't write everything in those first five books of the Bible. We know that for lots of reasons, including if you get to the end of the fifth book, Deuteronomy, there's a description of Moses' death. And we know that Moses did not write the description of his death because he was dead. <laughs> and you can't write a description of your death when you're dead, right? And then there's another place in the book of Numbers where there's a description of Moses' character, where it says that Moses was the humblest person to have ever lived. I hope Moses did not write that. Because <laughs> that would mean that he was not particularly humble. So it was written by a lot of different people over a very long period of time. 66 books written over a long period of time by lots of different authors, some of whom we know, some of whom we do not know, and we call this the Word of God. And by that we mean that throughout that long span of time with all of these different people who helped to write this book, God was present through it all. God was present inspiring all of those different people in all of those different places and all those different times to write. And God was present in inspiring those who then brought all of that together into one book, the Word of God, inspired by God. But now what does it mean to say that the book is inspired by God? This is a point where a lot of Christians kind of disagree. Not everybody agrees on what it means to say that the word is inspired by God. It doesn't help that there's only one place in the Bible that talks about this. You heard it read from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, where we hear that all scripture is inspired by God. That in words inspired only shows up once in the Bible, in that one verse. And it doesn't show up anywhere else in any writings outside of the Bible in that period of time. It's as if Paul made up the word. So we're not exactly certain what it means. And that's what makes it so hard for us to, to all agree upon what inspiration of God really means. There's some things we know it does not mean. 
We know it does not mean that God wrote this book and then dropped it out of heaven. We know it doesn't mean that. We also know that it does not mean that God dictated it to authors. It does not mean that. Instead, it has to do with how God inspired people and people then wrote. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because as we read through the Bible, what we see over and over again is God choosing to work through human beings to accomplish God's will and God's purposes in this world. That's a fundamental belief of our faith that God chooses to work through even people like us to accomplish God's will and God's purposes. So why wouldn't God choose to work through people in the writing of Holy Scripture? God chose to work through people and so the scriptures contain God's inspiration, all wrapped up in human language and understanding. Now, I'm about ready to go down a rabbit hole. So, so just let me give you a couple examples to try to make it as clear as possible. Because this I could take like the rest of the week talking about. But instead, I'm going to give it like three minutes. Um, so, the first chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 is a description of God creating the world, the universe, and everything in it. And if we, re if we closely read that description of the world God created, what's being described is a flat earth with mountains on the edges. And the mountains hold up a dome called the firmament, a dome that keeps the waters above from crashing down on the earth. And then there's waters below the earth as well. Now, we know that that's not an accurate description of the earth. We know that the earth is not flat with mountains on the end, and there's no such thing as a dome over top of it. We know that. So why would God have inspired the writer to describe a flat earth? And the answer to that question is God did not inspire the writer to write a flat earth. God was inspiring the writer to write how everything that exists was created by God. That's what God was inspiring the author or the writer to write. How everything that exists has its origins or was created by God. The only way that the, that the writer knew how to write about it was in the language and the understanding that the writer had. So of course the writer could only write about the world as the writer knew it in trying to communicate God created everything. Make sense? Kinda? So another quick example. Okay, so, so let me pick on Charlie over here. So Charlie, let's just say that God inspires you to write a letter to Desert Spring United Methodist Church and gives you two messages that the church needs to hear. And then let's say that, that, that God inspires Bobby to write a letter to Desert Spring United Methodist Church and gives the same two messages that we are to hear. And Charlie and Bobby both are faithful. They both write the letters and are faithful in communicating these two messages. But when you read the letters, one of them sounds like Charlie and the other one sounds like Bobby. Right? Because the Word of God is wrapped in human language and in human understanding. It's why we have Gospels that sound so different. 
This is called incarnational theology, and this is where it gets really boring. Okay? But remember, in the incarnation, we would say that Jesus, who is wholly divine, was born into this world as a baby, became fully human. He took upon himself the limitations of being human. So too when God speaks. God speaks through human beings, so God willingly takes upon God's self the limitations, the limitations of human language and of human understanding in order to help us get something we need to get. Okay? So, the Bible is the Word of God. Inspired by God, it contains the Word of God wrapped in human language and in human understanding. The Bible is not the unmitigated Word of God. Let me say that again. The Bible is not the unmitigated Word of God. Jesus is the unmitigated Word of God. Remember in John chapter 1, we hear that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through the Word. And then it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God, capital W. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth of God, capital T. What the Bible does for us is it takes us to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is the Word of God. And isn't that wonderful that the Bible, this inspired book that takes us to Jesus, the Bible is not our Lord, Jesus is our Lord. The Bible takes us to Him. And so it's just, it's just wonderful to know that God's provided this book that helps us come to understand the truth about ourselves and about God and Jesus. I mean, in the Bible, we're going to hear our own story about how we are created for so much, but what sin and brokenness can do to our lives, about what God is willing to do for us on our behalf, the forgiveness that can come, the restoration that can be ours. In this book, we hear the story of God a plan unfolding from Genesis all the way to Jesus coming to its fulfillment in the book of Revelation. In this book, we will hear words that come directly from the mouth of God. Words like, thou shalt not kill. Words like, this I command, that you love one another. We will also hear words that come from the mouth of human beings spoken to other human beings, like Job's friends trying to explain to Job why he's suffering. We will hear words that come from the mouth of human beings being spoken to God. My God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? By the waters of Babylon I laid down and wept for Zion's sake. How can I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We will hear words of people getting it right. The story of Ruth, the women at the foot of the cross. We will hear stories of people getting it wrong. Job's friends had it wrong the whole time. Peter in denying knowing Jesus. We will hear stories of people who think they are right but are really wrong. The religious leaders who ended up making certain Jesus got put to death. 
Saul overseeing the death of Stephen. Through it all, we'll hear words that are universal truths. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And we will hear words that were spoken to a very specific moment, a very specific situation that are not intended to be applied universally to our lives. I forbid a woman to teach a man. Knowing this, knowing that in the Bible, Sometimes we hear God speak, sometimes we hear people speak, sometimes we hear universal truths, sometimes we hear things that are specific to certain situations that don't apply universally. Knowing this, this kind of stuff, it helps us when it comes to understanding the Bible. It's important for us to read it, to read the Bible, but it's not only important that we read it, it's important how we read it, how we read it. That's important. And that can sound kind of daunting, you know, that we have to be careful on how we read it. But I want to give you just a, a little image that I think will help. And that image is of a colander. Okay, so you all know what a colander is and what it does. Some of you use them maybe pretty often. So let's just say that I make some pasta and the noodles are ready. So we pour them through, we pour them into this colander. And the part that we want to keep stays in the bowl and the part that we don't want pours on through so what if we poured the words of scripture through a colander the first thing we'd have to know is well what is this colander going to be made of if we're going to use it to determine scripture and for that we have to look to Jesus because he is the word of God he is the truth, capital T. So we look to him, and wouldn't you know it? He summarizes all of the law with the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And like that, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not all he has to say about love, though, because he also reminds us God loves us. We call this the law of love. God loves us. We're supposed to love God and love each other as we love ourselves. So what if we use the law of love as our colander? God loving us, us loving God, us loving each other. If we pour the, the words of scripture through that colander, all the stuff that stays in the bowl is stuff that we can pretty much understand and we do well to apply to our lives because it is consistent with loving God loving each other, even as God is loving us. But then there's the stuff that kind of pours through that we have to deal with. And unlike the analogy of the pasta, unlike the analogy of the pasta, where what pours through gets discarded, we don't discard what gets poured through. That would be like Martha Sue saying, I'm writing my own Bible. That make us the authority over scripture. We decide what you listen to and what you don't. Rather, what pours through is the stuff that we say, ah, I'm not certain I understand that. It's the stuff that we have to wrestle with. And it's okay to wrestle with scripture. I mean, Jacob wrestled with God all night long. 
So it's okay to wrestle with Scripture, to, to recognize that there's things that we do not understand, that things that do not make sense, things that we question, that we wrestle with. And as we wrestle with it, we're seeking to understand it better, remembering, always remembering the law of love. That if ever we think the Bible is saying something contrary to the law of love, if ever we think it's saying something contrary to God loving us, and to us loving God and loving each other, if ever we think it's contrary to that, then we're probably getting it wrong. And so we continue to wrestle and admit there are things that we just can't quite understand and can't quite make sense of. Now, I love the Bible. I love it. I've spent countless hours reading it, studying it, preparing to teach it, preparing to preach from it. It's formed my faith. It's helped me to understand how to live my life. I believe everything necessary for faith and salvation is found within it. And we do well, we do well to read it and to read it carefully. And so that's going to be my assignment to you, to read. Between now and next Sunday, find a few minutes and read from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels of Jesus Christ that tells his story. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus doing some teaching. Three chapters of Jesus teaching. Take some time to read those three chapters. To think about what they mean. But also, Try thinking about pouring them through that colander, pouring them through the law of love. What you're going to find when you read Jesus' teaching and try to pour it through the law of love, what you're going to find is pretty much everything stays in the bowl because he's the word of God. He's the truth. So everything stays in the bowl. But also what you'll find as you think about these words in relationship to the law of love, that the law of love will make Jesus' teaching easier to understand. So read it with that in mind. It becomes easier to understand. And in the end, that's what God wants for our lives, that we understand the word of God, that we open our hearts, we invite in the spirit to speak to us, and that we allow this word to impact our lives, to begin to transform our lives. So may it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Desert Spring United Methodist Church. New sermons are posted weekly. 